Welcome to episode 255 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Fast, Feast, Repeat, the comprehensive guide to delay, don't deny, intermittent fasting. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get my favorite electrolytes for free, plus special announcement, Element's new chocolate medley is here. So when you think electrolytes, you might think summer and hot times and needing to stay hydrated. But did you know that hydration is actually super important in cold weather as well? There's an idea out there that cold weather reduces our hydration needs. That's not true. So in the cold, two main things can actually increase our metabolic rate. You may be working harder, tramping through the snow, and you can be wearing cumbersome winter clothing that can actually raise your energy needs by 10 to 20%. And as your metabolic rate raises, your sweat rate raises, and you need to replace those fluids with electrolytes. You also lose more water when it's cold through your breath. That's because cold temperatures contain significantly less water than hot temperatures, aka it's drier outside. When you breathe in that cold, dry air, your respiratory system actually acts like a humidifier so that your body can be warm and humid like it likes to be. Of course, that drains your hydration reserves as well. One study actually found that respiratory water loss after a full day of activity nearly doubled at freezing temperatures compared to the 70s. On top of that, when you're cold, you actually become less thirsty, possibly from blood vessel constrictions in the cold, which can trick the body into thinking the blood volume is higher than it is. In other words, it's cold out there. You probably need hydration. And electrolytes are so key for all of these cellular processes in your body, all of your energy production. It all requires electrolytes, but it can be hard to find electrolytes which are clean, without unnecessary fillers, and which you can feel good about drinking. That's why I love Element. There's a reason I'm obsessed with it. There's a reason all you guys are as well. And like I said, I'm so excited because Element's new chocolate medley is here featuring chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. And this is a limited time, so you definitely want to stock up on these now. Plus, you can get a free gift with purchase when you purchase that chocolate medley or other Element electrolytes. That's right, you can get a free sample pack, eight single serving packets for free with any Element order. It's a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. You can get yours at drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast. That's drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast. By the way, those chocolates in that chocolate medley make delicious hot chocolates. And of course, as always, Element has a no questions asked refund, so you have nothing to lose. So go to drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast to get your free electrolytes. 
One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 255 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? Doing great. Feeling good. How about you? I'm good. I was wondering if I could share something, a story. Absolutely. Well, I will start by saying just brief disclaimer for people listening. If you have young children listening, maybe maybe skip ahead, look at the show notes and skip ahead just a little bit because I'm going to share something of a slightly sensitive nature, but it's very important to me. So yes, that is a disclaimer. So on Valentine's Day, which was pretty recently, 
I got a massage and I actually experienced sexual battery from the massage therapist. And the situation was really, really scary and I felt very helpless. I, uh, right afterwards, I mean, I I was just like crying and I was talking to my friends and they were encouraging me to go to the police and I was really scared about going to the police because you don't know if you're overthinking it or if they're going to believe you or it's just a scary thing. So, but I did. (laughs) And a reason that I'm sharing this is because I am so, so happy that I went. I immediately felt, you know, very safe. So I'm very grateful for that whole situation. And actually they were able to arrest him that night, which was very wonderful to hear. So I will have a court date for that. I just share that because since then I've done a lot of research on the whole issue of sexual assault and the stats are just really, really shocking. And I think it's something that people just don't really talk about. First of all, I was thinking about it. Like it's one of the only major crimes where there's often no evidence. So like if somebody steals something, then something's stolen. So you know something happened. If somebody kills somebody, which is awful, but you know somebody's dead, so you know something happened. With this, often there's not any evidence that you can see on the outside. So interestingly, when I that night I was actually meeting with the investigator in the investigation room, kind of like you see on TV, and he told me in the room, he said, "Just so you know, like I'm going to go talk to this guy, but it's really, really hard to make arrests in this situation because." Normally, they'll just say that they didn't mean to or that they don't know what you're talking about. It's really hard to arrest them because it's just two people's words against each other. That is true. It it makes sense that it would be hard to. And so then I guess people go through it and they're like, well, I probably shouldn't say anything because we can't prove it. So people keep it to themselves. And really, that doesn't help the situation for anybody. But I I understand why. Exactly. And it feels it's like embarrassing. It feels embarrassing to talk about. It's a crime that feels shameful in a way, even though you didn't do anything. I just think it's a really, you know, big issue. Interestingly, he was able to arrest the man because he asked him what had happened. And he didn't say that he didn't do it. And he didn't say that he didn't know what he was talking about. He just asked for an attorney. He wouldn't say what happened. So the detective was able to arrest him because then he was only going off of my testimony. So again, very grateful for that situation. Yeah. So I just think people aren't talking about this and I think it's so, so common. So I was looking at some statistics and these are from RAIN, R-A-I-N-N, which stands for Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. So it's most likely that sexual assaults are actually the most prevalent crime in the U.S., but they're also the most underreported. Every 68 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. Every nine minutes, that victim is a child. Meanwhile, only 25 out of every 1,000 perpetrators will end up in prison. Only 5% of sexual assault reports filed have been proven false. 82% of all juvenile sexual assault victims are female. 90% of adult rape victims are female. And in 2019, 
over 652,676 women were raped and nearly 1 million women were victims of sexual assault. So I'm very grateful. First of all, the, the support from like in the Facebook groups and Instagram and everything was overwhelming. So thank you so much, everybody. That was so, so wonderful. Um, oh, and so many guests that I've had on my show reached out and sent me like messages and emails. And I, w- I was honestly overwhelmed with everybody's support. It was a really beautiful thing. And so many people said that similar things had happened to them too, but they never said anything. I, th- I think that's very, very common. And I really do think it is important to speak up, like like we said, even though it's hard and even if it feels shameful. Something like that, believe it or not, happened where the salon that I used to go to, the guy that, there, it was a male massage therapist. He'd been there for years. Someone reported some inappropriate touching and he was fired. And I think it's important that the massage board, or I don't know who does the licensing, what it's actually called. They need to hear all these reports, and you know, even if you can't get the the perpetrator arrested, it's important to file it because I think that once you start having, if if it continues to happen, that person should not be able to be licensed. Well, if it happened, yeah, if it happens once again, it is it is he he said she said kind of a, a situation, but if if one person, but if it happens, if there's a pattern, I don't really know what the massage board would require as far as proof, as far as like when they would take someone's license, because I mean, there could be somebody who this may sound awful. No one please think this. <laughs> there could be someone who is who makes a false report. I'm not saying that that people are likely to make a false report, but it is a possibility. But if if there's a you know two reports, it's very unlikely that either of them is false. If does that make sense? So I, I would never say someone is making a false report, but there is a possibility someone could. And so one one report is really too many. But you know if you if you investigate it, it should they should all be investigated. That's such a good point. So yeah, so even if you know you could file a report and even if there's not an arrest or a trial or prosecution, if we're all filing when these are happening, those reports will add up. If every time we file, you know, because these people, and it's not just massage, it's, you know, happening. It's all different things. Oh, yeah. Any any place that you could, you know, be alone with someone or, you know, it could happen anytime. But you you need to file, definitely file a report because I really think that there's strength in numbers. I guess that's all I'm trying to say, strength in numbers. Yes, exactly. And I hesitated to even say that, that someone could fa- file a false report because I know that sounds very much like not believing the person. People do, I'm sure. Like that stat, 5%. So I don't know how accurate that stat is, but I, I would guess maybe that's, I mean, that sounds reasonable to me. I mean, I don't know. But, um, but I just think because of the sensitive nature of it, people are just so unlikely to. And like I said, I was really scared too. And and what happened to me was very, very most definitely qualified. <laughs> so there was like, it was, no, it was no question that that was not something that was, he should have been doing. Yeah. So, but even then I was, you know, really scared. So, and then I was scared talking to the investigator because he said, if we are able to arrest him, then you have to make the decision. Do you want to prosecute? Which means, do you want to go to trial? And I said, yes. So that's upcoming. Oh, somebody did say a really good comment on one of my posts. They said, 
if you're questioning if something happened to you that was inappropriate, it probably was because people don't question things that are normal and appropriate. And even if you can't, like if you're just, I'm going back, of course, to the spa situation just because, you know, that's where you were and it happened at a spa that I went to as well. You need to absolutely report it to the the owner of the spa, the also the authorities, the police, the massage board, all of those places, just because you don't want that person to be licensed. You don't want that person to be rehired somewhere else, but you definitely want to get them out of where they are working now. Yes. And something else, I think the thing that convinced me to actually go to the police and the thing that convinced me to say yes about did I want to prosecute was thinking... It's not even about me. It's about stopping this person from doing this to somebody else. Right. A hundred percent. That's that's what I think if any of us have this situation and we feel embarrassed or like we're not brave enough to say something, we're we need to be brave enough so that we can stop it from happening to somebody else and that our our voices can be heard together. Because again, he probably has not only done that to you, he's done that to other people. And the other people may just be like, you know, traumatized and like never going to get a massage again or never going to have a male massage therapist again versus, you know, if they had spoken up, it might have prevented it from happening to you. Exactly. So even if you think they might not believe you, speak up because the more people speak up, the the less that the person will be able to say, oh, nothing really happened. Because if a lot of people are saying, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, right? There's a saying for a reason. If a lot of people have a similar story, then then that person you know, can't keep making excuses. Yeah. I actually heard what you said. I actually heard that from some other comments. People were saying that they didn't say anything, but then later, you know, the person was fired or something. So I'm on a mission. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to, I actually recorded a, like a PSA for my other show and I'm, I'm going to run it on every single episode because I just want everybody to hear this. I mean, it all ma- manifested fine. Like, you know, like I went to the police, like I feel very good about the situation. But if somebody had told me before all of this, I think I would have felt different during the experience. So you might've been empowered at the time. Yeah. And I I get it because you're probably thinking, is this really happening? Yes. Is this okay? Also comparing it to the other crimes, like the other crimes, it's just so obvious that something was wrong. But with this, it's like, it's subtle, but against the law. Mm-hmm. It's almost worse because compared to like theft, because, you know, it's a violation of your body and in a space where you should be safe. Like we feel like if you're like, like at a doctor's office or in in a place like like a, a where you're getting massage therapy or in a dentist's chair. Yes, yes, exactly. And again, if something feels off, it is off. That's really trust your instincts with that. And again, I just want to reiterate when I made the comment that, you know, someone could make a false claim. Oh, but they do. They do. I feel almost like I shouldn't have even said that, but I think that it's important. It, it's hard to know what the law should be. One claim, you're out. I don't know. I guess it's the mother of sons. I'm, maybe that's why I'm like sensitive to, I don't know. Like I'm like, to have told my children never do anything that, you know, we've ta- had this conversation. I think all claims should be taken seriously. So I think there should be a trial, an investigation, a thorough investigation. And I also feel like if you just had other people talk to other people, there probably you would have like, like at this 
place where I was and the guy was fired, they started talking to other people. And sure enough, it wasn't just one person. So, you know, there was plenty. It wasn't just one. It was, yeah, there were lots, but no one had spoken up. So until one person did, one person spoke up and then the owner started asking around and then that wasn't, you know, and it's like there was plenty of like, okay, corroborating evidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was actually a pretty good candidate for having a stronger testimony because, because the investigator in the room, he was asking me a lot of intense questions, which he said he was doing because he had asked, but also because he was like, he was like, if this goes to court, this is the way the, they're going to ask you questions there. The the good thing about my experience is I, is I, I mean, you guys know, I, I get a lot of massages. Like this is something I've, I've been doing for a long time. So it's not like this was my first massage. I've been going to that location for years. It's not like I was just like, this was my first massage and I was reporting it. Wow. So will you go back to that location? No. <laughs> Which makes me sad because it's one of the it's the only location by me where they actually have chair massages, which is why I, I like to go. This was not a chair massage. That's why I'd always go in there. You could get just a really quick chair massage. Yeah. Like really quick. Yeah. And actually the reason I went with this guy, because I actually normally as a rule always go with women when I do full body, but I had gone in the week prior and he was new and he gave me a chair massage and it was just so fabulous. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, I'm going to book like a he was like, you should come do a full body massage. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do that for like Valentine's. That'll be fun. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you got him out of there. And I assume you talked to the people that run the place. I actually haven't. Oh, I would do that right away. Did, or did the investigator tell you not to? I left right away. I just wanted to get out of there. Because I anticipate they're probably going to ask me, why did I not, you know, talk to him then or talk to the owners then. I was just, Jen, I was so scared and so confused. I just wanted to leave. And I didn't want him to think that I was on to him. Like, I just wanted to leave and then deal. <laughs> it's like the freeze response. Maybe check with the police and see if they're going to report it to the owner, because I think the owner needs to know. I mean, that night they had police squad over there talk like they. Okay. So they know. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's what I was trying to get to. Does, does the place know? It doesn't have to be you. It just, somebody has to let the place know. That's what I was. I want to make sure because I know the guy knows and you know, and the police know, but did the place know? Yeah. So they, when they talked to him was at the place. So. Oh, good. Well, that makes me feel better. And I also think that one report and you are not touching anybody else till there's a full investigation. Yes, I agree. I think the fact that he wouldn't say what happened and immediately asked for an attorney is pretty telling. Yeah, they immediately sent police over there. And then actually, then I went home and then they call and they're like, it was like 10 o'clock by that time. They're like, can you come back? The detective's actually still here. So then I came back and then I did that. And then he went over. So. It all it was all taken care of that night. Well, I'm sorry it was that it happened, but thank you for speaking up. And you're going to give someone someone that's listening is going to have the courage to tell what happened in the future. And so that that just from hearing this story. So thank you for doing that. Thank you. And I know we're going long, but the last thing is I also really encourage parents. I know it's like a really sensitive topic, but I really encourage parents. To, to in their own time and when they think it's appropriate, have these conversations with their children. Oh, 100%. And also, like I just said, as the mother of boys, you know, have conversations with your boys about what is appropriate or not appropriate for them to be doing. I mean, obviously, they can also be victims of abuse, but you also need to make sure they are careful not to be perceived as abusers or that they know what that means. 
so that they're not making, you know, I know there was a thing I went to when the boys were, I guess, middle school age. It was called Teen Years 101. It was put out by a judge here in town. He had a night for the parents and a night for the kids to go to. And he told us all the ways that your children could get in really bad trouble. And you're, you leave and you're like panicked, like, oh my gosh, yes. Like all the things your kids can do wrong. And then they're like ruined forever. And <laughs> so I like, you know, with Will, he's 22. I'm like, never date a girl who's under 18. Never, never, never. I mean, you know, stuff like that, just because you got to protect your boys, you know, from you know, making mistakes that they don't know are mistakes. Mm-hmm. I can see how that would happen for sure. Anyway, like if they're not 18, do not even go on a date with them. <laughs> yeah. Make her show you her license. I mean, seriously. <laughs> anyway. It's not funny, but it is funny. It's, I know. Well, as as the mom of, you know, we we want our kids to be safe and protected, but we also want them to make smart choices and not get in trouble for things that they Maybe didn't even know were wrong things. Yeah. It's it's such a delicate, complicated topic. Like like if drinking is going on, you need to let them know, you know, what is consent. If everyone is drinking, they need to understand those things. Yeah. Exactly. So I think we should just approach every thing, I don't know, with all events. I don't want to say automatically believe, you know, I think there should be a, a thorough investigation into everything, is my point. For, yes, I agree with that. Any report should be thoroughly investigated as true. Yes. Yes, I agree. But you do have to investigate. I mean, you don't just like, all right, someone said it, so you're out. I mean, you know. Yes, exactly. I want to reach out to that RAIN organization and see if I can get, you know, like their president or something on, on my show. I want to do a show about it. So. Oh, yeah. I think that would be great for awareness. A hundred percent. So, all right. Well, that was heavy, but thank you for sharing it again. And I hope that everything I was saying comes across with the right intent and spirit. It 100% did. Because I could see somebody being like, well, that was terrible. Why did you say that? But I got your message. So, and I agree with the messaging. All right. Shall we jump into lighter topics? Absolutely. All right. So to start things off, we have a question from the Tasmanian devil is what she wants. I love it. Tasmanian devil. That was one of my favorite cartoon characters. What is he? He's a Tasmanian devil. Oh, that's an animal. Yes. What do they look like in real life? Not at all like the cartoon character. I think they're cute. I don't know. Maybe they're not cute. I can't remember. I know I've seen it before. Do they have little tornadoes around them? No, that part is made up. Also, if you drop an anvil on a roadrunner, he's going to die. <laughs> Wait, if you Google Tasmanian devil, they look really scary. Do they? Okay, I can't remember. The first like three pictures are terrifying. Do you want to know something that's funny of what animal is super scary and you might not even realize it? Oh, wait, I think I know the answer. There's a few. Oh, can we play this game? Okay. Well, we could. Oh, he, he only looks scary because his teeth are out. He does look scary. Oh, and yeah. Okay, when his teeth are out, that Tasmanian devil, he looks cute in this picture. His teeth are often out is the thing. <laughs> he looks super, well, he, he does look cranky. This one, his teeth are not out, but he looks cranky. He does look pretty cranky. He walks around. I get the, I get the impression that like you walk, you walk up to him and he just like. <laughs> okay, all right. I see why. They're from Tasmania and they're in New South Wales and Australia. All right, anyway. So I saw an animal that usually we think of as super cute. And it was a little bit horrifying. 
And I was at an aquarium, so that might help. So in general or just the one you saw? Just this one. There's one that I saw at an aquarium last week that I would have thought of was an otter. No, otters are so cute. I I know. That's why I was going to be mind blown. A dolphin. Oh, no. Dolphins are so cute. They have smiles. They're so cute. Dolphins are so great. They are. They're like the kindest animals. Yeah, definitely wasn't a dolphin. So you saw this animal and what happened? It It was just so creepy. But I've always thought of them as cute. It is not cute. Can I have a hint? Was it a mammal? It has no, it was not a mammal. Was it a fish? You know, it's I don't know, it wasn't a fish because fish are vertebrates. It's an invertebrate. Let me put it that way. It's invertebrate. Was it a reptile? No. Invertebrate. Reptiles are vertebrates. This is my elementary teacher coming back to wait, snakes. Snakes. Snakes are vertebrates. They have vertebrae. I promise. <laughs> they are vertebrate. They have backbones. I just have to Google this. Well, uh, you can Google it if you want to, but if someone taught elementary science for as many years as I did. I know my <laughs> vertebrate animals. Are you surprised? Yeah, I'm just surprised that there's not like one reptile that's not that's an invertebrate. Reptiles, they would not be a reptile. The reptiles are, by definition, vertebrates. You just don't think of a snake as having... I know, you don't. In fact, I remember I was teaching third grade, and one of my students said, our second grade teacher told us snakes didn't have bones. And I said, well, that's really sad in my head. <laughs> and then I said, well, that's not true. <laughs> Let's look it up. And sure enough, but all the other kids were like, yeah, that's what our teacher said. And I'm like, well, okay. Was it an octopus? Yes. Have you ever seen an octopus in person? I don't think so. It was freaky. I've seen a baby octopus. Oh my God, it was not cute at all. It was like giant and all like, instead of his cute little legs like swimming around all cute, no, he was all like balled up and his little tentacles were like all over him. And they, but they were all like curled up and it, it was like he kept rubbing with his tent. Oh my gosh. It, I was like, I am not an octopus fan. I would be so scared. if I, I mean, I know you should never have a pet octopus, but if I did, I would be convinced that I would wake up and it would be like on me. Those things are smart. They get out of their cages. Well, and it wasn't cute. Like with something like the seahorses are just adorable. Even the the shark, I like we. It was like a tunnel you go under, and the shark is over you. I didn't care, but that octopus gave me the heebie-jeebies. Anyway, have you seen some of the videos of them getting out of their enclosures? No, it's terrifying. They like they get out. Octopuses do. Yeah, they're brilliant, brilliant. And so there's some videos. Did you see that the the Finding Dory? I didn't. I need to. Okay, there's an octopus character in that one, and he he just gets out of everything. And in real life, they do that. There's like videos of, there's this one where he's like in an enclosed container with like a screwed on lid thing. And that octopus just gets out. Hi friends. An incredible fasting aid is coffee. Yes, I am all about the coffee. I am a huge fan of its health benefits as well as how it can support your fast and really help with energy and fat burning. And I have a big announcement. The brand of coffee that I have been drinking for an entire decade now, I am no longer drinking. 
There's some drama, there's some science, and I'm about to tell you how to get a discount on my new favorite coffee. So I've been drinking the coffee formerly known as Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Coffee for literally a decade. I do not drink it now, so this is not a Bulletproof Coffee commercial, but I started drinking it because I so trusted Dave and his obsession in creating mold-free coffee because moldy coffee beans is a huge problem and a lot of people can get health issues, brain fog, and crash after coffee because of the mold contamination. Contamination. Dave has been talking about this for so long, so I really trusted him and I would drink Bulletproof Coffee, which I absolutely loved and loved that it was mold-free. Then there was some drama. Dave sort of got kicked out of Bulletproof. He might be going back. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. Follow him on Instagram if you want to learn more about that. He even talked about it at the recent biohacking conference. But in any case, <laughs> drama aside, he can no longer speak to Bulletproof Coffee as to whether or not it is mold-free. And he ended up making a coffee even better than Bulletproof Coffee, and it is called Danger Coffee, and friends, I love it. It's the first coffee that is not only mold-free, but actually can help you remineralize. Yep, that's right. Danger Coffee contains a patent-pending formula that actually remineralizes your body with more than 50 trace minerals, nutrients, and electrolytes. On top of that, it is super clean. I know people like to see organic labels. Friends, I have learned so much about the certification industry. And honestly, the best of the best is finding people that you trust who do extensive testing and third-party certification. That's what I do with my Avalon X supplements. And that's what Dave does with Danger Coffee. So with Danger Coffee, they use a process that far exceeds government and industry standards. And it is third-party lab tested. So you can rest assured it is free of mold toxins. As for the flavor, Dave selected these hand-picked farm direct beans for their quality, their superb flavor, and their elevated performance. I love the taste of it. It's much richer and more nuanced than Bulletproof Coffee. It's honestly one of the best coffees I've ever tasted, and it's so exciting to know that when I'm drinking it, I'm actually helping to remineralize my body. So that's right. If you want your coffee to contain antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, micronutrients, and help optimize your fasting, you want Danger Coffee. And of course, I have a discount for you guys. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash danger coffee and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash danger coffee with the coupon code melanieavalon for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10 year decade bulletproof coffee habit but sometimes you just got to upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. Well, I'm glad I didn't know that. <laughs> I would have been running, running out of there. Anyway, so all this because of the Tasmanian devil. Yes, they are kind of creepy looking, but they're cute in the cartoon. And it is one of my favorite cartoon characters. Oh, that's why we're talking about this. Okay. So let's hear about the Tasmanian Devil's fasting question. So the subject is ADF and weight loss. And the Tasmanian Devil says, Dear Melanie and Jen, thank you so much for your podcast, books, Facebook groups, and everything else you do. I hope the value you add to others' lives leads to similar abundances flowing into your lives and hearts too. That is so wonderful. That really is. She says, I have listened to all your podcasts, but couldn't find the answers to my questions. So I finally decided to write you. 
My main question is about the speed of my weight loss with ADF, and I am hoping you can suggest ways to speed it up. I'm a 46-year-old woman, not yet perimenopausal, and I first started IF two years ago. I lost easily with one meal a day and got to my goal weight of 63 kilograms from a starting weight of 75 kilograms very quickly within five short months. On that occasion, I combined it with weightlifting three times per week. I'm 5'5". I developed some ear, nose, throat health issues last year and relaxed my window and ate more unhealthy and processed foods. I gained more weight than I had originally wanted to lose and I got to 81 kilograms. I restarted my IF journey with one meal a day for one month and then quickly moved to ADF and have been doing true every other day water only fast for the last seven months. I haven't been able to exercise this time due to an ankle injury. I am only losing one kilogram every three weeks or so. I eat really well on my eating days, mostly whole foods, mostly plant-based, but some meat as well. I still have at least nine kilograms to lose to get to my goal of 63 kilograms, although this time I am a strangely smaller size at a higher weight. I don't think that is strange. I think I know why that's probably happening. Body recomposition. In action, losing the fat, but maintaining your lean muscle mass, that is exactly why. Yep. So she has a few questions, so maybe we can go through this one by one. All right. So her first question, she says, is IF weight loss slower slash harder slash less actual scale weight loss if you have to do it over a second or third time after regaining? Well, I find it interesting that you're you're saying your weight loss is slow or hard or not happening because here's why. A kilogram every three weeks is actually almost a pound a week, and that is really right on target. That sounds perfect to me. So it sounds like she was doing a one meal a day plan in the past and was doing weightlifting at the time and then stopped doing intermittent fasting gained weight, restarted intermittent fasting, but now is doing alternate daily fasting and not exercising, but losing at almost a pound a week. So if you're losing a kilogram every three weeks or so, if you have nine kilograms to go, you'll get there in half a year. Just be patient. And again, here's something I want you to keep in mind. Instead of having that goal weight of 63 kilograms, since you've mentioned that you're having body recomposition, you may find that you get to your goal size, your goal body, and you're higher than 63 kilograms because you're losing fat so well. You know, alternate daily fasting, you know, you're really tapping into your fat stores during those longer fasts that you're doing every other day. And clearly, you're maintaining your muscle mass very well if you're smaller at a higher weight than you had been before. So I would say that you are just doing amazingly, like so great. The next question, and I can see it right here, is what can I do to speed it up? Not a thing. You do not need to speed it up. It is absolutely fantastic. That's what I have to say. What do you think, Melanie? So I will answer the question objectively, just in general. So her experience aside about is IF weight loss, you know, slower, harder, less actual scale weight if you have to do it over a second or third time after regaining, that is very likely, actually. Just because we know that with regaining and losing and regaining and losing and regaining and losing, 
for a lot of people, it does get harder and it could be a few different things going on. I've talked about this at length before on the show, but when I interviewed Joel Green, he talks about what actually happens to fat cells when we like gain and lose weight from them. And it has to do with their extracellular matrix, which is basically like their outer membrane clothing. And the more you stretch and expand and shrink and stretch, it makes it stiffer in a way. And it makes it less likely to actually make changes to the fat cell to be smaller. So it can make it harder the more that you go through this process. And then on top of that, depending on, and and this is not speaking specifically to the Tasmanian devil, but in general, if you're, you know, losing and regaining like a lot, like, so not just like a small amount, like fluctuating within normal weight levels, but actually, you know, becoming overweight and then losing weight and then becoming overweight. So when fat cells are overfilled, they release inflammatory cytokines. They're in an inflammatory state and that creates cellular damage to the cell's mitochondria. So how they're generating energy, their willingness to to burn fat. So the more inflammatory state that you get in by gaining, the harder it can make it to lose. Not that you can't, but it can just make it harder. And then also there are lots of theories surrounding set points, which is possibly governed by the hypothalamus in our brain. And this is debated, this is hotly debated, but there are theories about the body, you know, preferring to be at certain weights. So with gaining and losing and gaining and losing, it might play with that and, you know, create a point where your your hypothalamus more likely wants to try to maintain a, a higher weight. So her aside, this can be a thing. Doesn't mean that you can't lose the weight, but well, I also would would think that one of the factors would be why did you gain it? And it might be because something's different in your body that caused you to gain it. And so if there's something going on that caused you to gain weight, like maybe you took steroids or maybe you had an illness or whatever it could be, maybe you're menopausal, if that caused you to gain weight and you also quit intermittent fasting, then it's also that thing that caused you to gain the weight is also going to make it harder to lose the weight. So there's just so many factors. It's hard to say yes or no. Very true. Very true. So for speeding it up, I know we don't think she needs to speed it up. And she's also eating really well. Yes. In general, as far as speeding it up, I think there are little things you can do that can really add up. So she is eating well. I'm always going to be the one to say that I think there's a lot of magic, though, that can happen with food choices. And I talked about this, I think, last show, maybe having a few days where you eat sort of like the high-protein, low-fat, and low-carb meals. If you're doing, especially if you're doing like a one-meal-a-day window, like having a few days per week when you do just those foods, that might be a way to really speed up your weight loss. The power of staying active in your fasting window. So, you know, making sure that you're moving. And if you are working out, if you do that near the end of your fast, when you're really deep into a fat burning state, I think that can be pretty productive. Yep. And she said that she had not been able to exercise because of an ankle injury. Yeah. Once she is able to exercise again. Yeah. I mean, I really just look at, look at those, those two things. So, all right, you ready for the next question? Go ahead with that one. So she says, I have not had my period over the last two months. Could I be stressing my body out? I feel great while fasting and have very little hunger. 
I could extend my fast, but I don't go over 42 hours usually. All right. So this is a question that it does raise a bit of an alarm that you could be overstressing your body, but it... I, I feel like that doesn't happen until you, unless you're like losing really quickly as well. Like you're not exercising, so you're you're not over exercising, obviously, because you're not exercising right now, and it doesn't sound like you're over restricting. So I would look and see what has caused you to lose your period. Also, you're 46, so I know you said you're not yet perimenopausal, but you know how do you know that? Because if you've lost your period. That really is what happens when you're perimenopausal. Like that was exactly when I started having weird period stuff. And, it, you know, like my cycles got longer. Like instead of, you know, every, let's say, 28 days, like it might be 72 days. And then, boop, there's another period. And that happened for years. Like I took a bunch of pregnancy tests all throughout my 40s just because things got wacky. And I'm like, oh, you know. Thank goodness they all were negative because I was in my 40s. But I have all of my period data from 2012 on because I got an app at that time. And I could see, you know, how it changed over time. But I I think it's pretty much textbook. I went through perimenopause like a textbook way. And that actually started, you know, prior to intermittent fasting. So I can't say it was because of intermittent fasting that my period got out of whack. It happened before. But as I went through the transition, it just continued. I think that's just very, very normal. So... I would talk to your your OBGYN about that, and it could just be normal perimenopause, even though you don't think you're perimenopausal, you might be. Or you could have your hormones checked and see, or you could really dig deep. And and if you are over-restricting, you'll know it. You know, you said that you don't usually go over 42 hours. That's good. So you're having a significant refeed. You're eating at least two meals on your up day. If you have in the back of your mind, could I be over-restricting and not eating enough? If you think that might be true, like I definitely don't think that about myself. I know I am not in danger of over-restricting because I know I eat very, very well. But if you have that, could I be over-restricting? Then you might be. So think about that. But again, I would feel like what would happen is you would have you know, some other things going on that would give you a clue that that's what's happening. But definitely talk to your ABGYN and and see what what he or she thinks. And also, if you suspect that you're over-restricting, then maybe it's time for you to stop with ADF. Maybe you should go to the daily eating window approach and have, you know, maybe a five-hour eating window and see what happens. I think that could make a difference if you feel like the ADF is overstressing your body. Just but we can't tell you yes or no. In general, the research on ADF. It didn't tend to cause that type of an issue, or at least they didn't report it, if it did, in the literature that I've seen. But also, we are all very much a study of one. And it is possible you could be over-restricting, but it's also possible that you're not, and it's just typical 46-year-old perimenopause happening. Perfect. I thank you. I have nothing to add. (laughs) She says, strangely, I sleep like a baby on the fasting day, but can't get to sleep easily on the eating days. Why is this? Shouldn't it be the other way around? Well, that would be more typical, but again, we're all a study of one. So, (laughs) you know, I find I have a harder time sleeping if I overdo sugar or alcohol. That that keeps me very, very restless. So, or if I over-restrict. So that could be, if you feel like you're in, 
you know, after, on your eating day that you're in that wired ketosis state, that might mean you're not eating enough on your up days. So keep that in mind. You may do, need a longer, maybe just do 36-12 and see if that helps. Does she give the times that she's eating? She doesn't. She's just doing a true ADF, but rarely fasting over 42 hours. But if she's doing 42-6, that could be restrictive. Just to speak to that too, I actually, I think 42 can very easily be restrictive for a lot of people. You know, any really anything. I mean, for some people, they feel like a one meal a day is too restrictive. Well, and when she says, I could extend my fasts, like I absolutely would not extend your fast. I would scale them back more than extend. More is not always the answer. I agree. But as far as the sleeping, the reason I was wondering when she's eating, it could be that you're just eating too close to bed. For your body. Yeah. And and if you're, especially maybe in this approach, you're eating, you know, more than your body was accustomed to historically eating before bed. So I would look at that. I would look at the food choices that you're eating. How digestible are they? Are you having digestion issues at all? If you find that you sleep better fasted, you might just want to try, again, I don't know when you're eating, but you might want to try not eating as close to bed when you do eat. Yeah. Open your window earlier like breakfast, have breakfast, breakfast, lunch, and an early dinner and see if that helps. Yes. So she says, once I get to my goal, would 5-2 be a reasonable maintenance to trial first? I mean, you certainly could. It's all about what you enjoy. Do you want to eat every day or do you want to have down days? It's up to you. I like to eat every day. So for me, I don't want to do any kind of, you know, full fasts twice a week or once a week or whatever. I don't want to. I want to eat every day. But if you absolutely love having a 36-hour fast followed by an up day and you would like to do that twice a week and then the other days can be whatever eating window feels right to you, you know, do it. You are in charge at all times of what feels good. And so would that be maintenance for you or would you continue losing weight or do you need longer windows? You'll just, you'll only know once you get there and see what feels right. And you'll really listen to your body because I got more hungry when I got to maintenance, I needed more food. And so that's very normal as well, to need slightly longer windows once you get to goal. Yep. It's really all about the thing that makes you happy with maintenance. Yep. What feels good. Yeah. She says, is lack of exercise stalling my weight loss? Yeah, that's hard to know. And again, you're losing almost a pound a week And you're seeing body recomposition, which indicates you're losing fat, but maintaining muscle. So honestly, it it sounds really, really good to me. I wouldn't stress about it. You know, as you're feeling better and your ankle is better, if you can start being more active, you know, then you'll know the answer to that question. You know, I'm one of those people genetically based on my, you know, the limited genetic data we have based on this sort of thing. When I had my DNA analyzed, it said I'm genetically someone who is less likely to lose weight exercising. Some people are more likely. So the people who are listening who are like, yeah, I never lose weight unless I'm exercising. That's probably true. For me, I never in my entire life saw a connection between adding an exercise approach and weight loss. That's just me. People might be like, that's not true. Well, it was true. It seemed true for me. I just got really hungry. (laughs) Whenever I exercised, I ate, it balanced out. Like my body just balanced it out with an increased appetite. So I'm not saying exercise isn't great. I do exercise. We've talked about that before. It's just, will it lead to weight loss? That's the question. If I say to you, no, exercise does not make me lose weight, that doesn't mean I'm saying, so you shouldn't exercise. By exercise, 
Are you um, speaking more to cardio or strength training or what type of exercise? Well, I never saw any kind of increased weight loss with any of it personally, but I know some people do. Some people, we're all different when it comes to how our bodies respond to that. Yeah. I just, again, I don't really do concentrated exercise sessions, but I feel best in my body when I'm moving a lot throughout the day, doing a lot of like functional type movement and wearing my weights and all of that stuff. So, yep. Although I've been doing, I continue to be very addicted to M-Sculpt. So the muscle stimulation, I've been doing that a lot. I am seeing major, major changes with it. Well, that's fascinating. It's incredible. I've been doing my arms, glutes, hamstrings, and abs. I'm really, I'm pretty sure I'm just going to do it for life because I think it's really, really healthy to, you know, build muscle. So you're seeing muscle building. Oh yeah. Fat reduction, muscle building, toning. I mean, it's building because I just started doing, well, I'm on my third session of my hamstrings and I'm really feeling the changes there. So, and the arms have been great. Oh, it's very exciting. Hi friends. We are so honored to be sponsored in part today by Nutrisense. You guys hear us talk about continuous glucose monitors, aka CGMs, all the time on this show. And in particular, we love Nutrisense, and here is why. Nutrisense not only provides a 24-7 moving picture of your glucose values, they also offer a unique opportunity for self-discovery. So imagine this. You have a meal, and then you notice a spike in your glucose levels. So you think, hmm, that didn't go well. But here's the magic. Tomorrow, you can make a simple change. You can swap whatever you were eating for something else. Now you have real-time data to evaluate the impact. Maybe instead of that fruit, you have some vegetables. Maybe instead of that oatmeal, you have some yogurt. Maybe instead of that steak, you have some fruit. The continuous feedback loop that you can get with a Nutrisense CGM empowers you to make quick, informed iterations with your meals. Maybe the change results in a completely normal glucose level, or maybe it's still a little bit high, but significantly better. Armed with this knowledge, you can refine your choices further, rapidly steering your glucose values back to the normal range. Without a continuous glucose monitor, honestly, you're just guessing and assuming that what you're doing is working. And when you go test your blood sugar levels at the doctor, that's just a snapshot of that one moment in time. It's not telling you what actually was happening throughout the day all the time. What makes Nutrisense truly transformative is its ability to create lasting habits and intrinsic motivation. So instead of relying on generic advice from professionals or online sources or us, you have personalized real-time data from your own body. When you see the direct impact of your choices, it will resonate on a whole new level. This newfound awareness becomes the driving force, making it easier than ever to stay motivated and committed to your health journey. I promise you friends, it's like opening your eyes to the secret to lasting change because it gives you this empowering knowledge that you just didn't have before. So if you're looking to take charge of your health, gain real insights into your body and make sustainable, positive changes, Nutrisense is your ultimate partner. Join them and us on this journey of discovery and unlock your full health potential. Get started today at Nutrisense.com slash podcast and receive a $30 discount off of your first month, which includes two CGM sensors, free shipping and professional nutritionist support. That's Nutrisense.com slash IF podcast for a $30 discount off your first month with two CGM sensors, free shipping and professional nutritionist support, which by the way, I get a lot of feedback on just how helpful that nutritionist support is. It's so easy. You can talk to them in real time in the app. 
and they can really help you make sense of all the data that you receive from your continuous glucose monitor. Nutrisense.com slash podcast, and I am just so grateful to Nutrisense for helping support today's show. Okay, shall we go on to our next question? Yes, we have a question from Nancy, and the subject is, why follow the circadian rhythm? She says, hi, Melanie and Jen. The information you provide is invaluable. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for teaching us and keeping us informed of the latest and accurate information. My question, why do we follow the circadian rhythm of 24 hours when fasting, i.e. 24 or 18-6? I have some health issues and am wondering if a longer fasting rhythm would give me more of the healing benefits of intermittent fasting. I'm thinking 36-12 or 48. Is there research where people have consistently followed a longer cycle such as this? Nancy. And we just talked about that. Actually, yes, we did. There is. And I just recommended that Tasmanian Devil do (laughs) 36-12. So, Melanie, what do you say to this? So, I recently published a blog post, and it was actually featured as well in the latest issue of Biohackers Magazine, but it is at melanieavalon.com slash eating timing. And I dive deep, deep, deep into the circadian rhythms of the body. And so this is just to answer why do we follow the circadian rhythm of 24 hours when fasting, like in general. And I believe the reasoning for that is that longer fasts aside, our bodies as human beings and our hormones pretty regularly follow a 24-hour cycle with fluctuating rhythms. And that has a lot to do with light. So basically everybody's body daily is going to go through rhythms of different hormones involved in fat burning and energy use and you know so many processes in the body. So that's, you know, ghrelin, the hunger hormone, leptin, the satiety hormone, insulin, which is involving if you're, you know, storing nutrients, cortisol, a stress hormone but that can help you release energy stores as well, you know, adrenaline, norepinephrine, epinephrine. There's there's so many hormones and those hormones are not on a 36-hour or a 40-hour cycle. They're on a 24-hour cycle. So that would be a reason that, in general, we are adapting our fasting as a lifestyle to fit within that rhythm. That said, there are people who do the other approaches. Oh, but as far as like she has some health issues and is wondering if a longer fasting would give her some of the healing benefits, quite possibly. I'm not sure what the health issues you're experiencing are. It's always something that you could play with. Thoughts, Jen? Yeah, I just wanted to reiterate. One reason we talk about things in in numbers like 24 and 18.6 or 19.5 is just because there are 24 hours in a day. And so we talk about them because that's how many there are. But when you're fasting, it, it doesn't have to, like, we're fasting over an overnight period. So it's part of two different 24-hour periods. Your fast is part of this day and part of that day, if that if I'm explaining that well. So it might not add up neatly to 24. Like I might do, like, for example, yesterday, Chad and I went out to eat, and I fasted until probably 7 p.m. So and I'd probably closed my window. I had a 24-hour fast. And then I had an eating window that was hmm, probably we had a a leisurely dinner and then we went somewhere else and had dessert. So I probably had a three-hour eating window. So I did (laughs) 24-3, you know, and you're like, wait a minute, 
it's not possible to do 24-3. How did you do that? Well, I did 24-3 because I fasted for 24 hours, then I ate for three. And that's just how it worked out because part of that 24-hour fast was on Friday and the other part or whatever day it is, part of it was, yeah, part of it was on Friday and part of it was on Saturday. And then it just added up to be that. So don't get too caught up in the numbers of making it add up to 24. I just wanted to throw that in there. In a calendar day, it will definitely add up to 24. So within the day of Saturday, there were only 24 hours in Saturday. But some of the fast was part of Friday's fast, and some of it is part of Sunday's fast, if that makes sense. Yes, and also to that point and to Nancy's question, it doesn't necessarily have to be either or. Like It doesn't have to be you're doing you know, within a 24-hour daily thing, or you're doing this 36-12, you could be doing in general like 24-hour cycles and then have the occasional longer fast. Right. And that's exactly what we were talking about with Tasmanian Devil as well, where we were talking about 5-2. And I suggested she could do that with, you know, two 36-12, for example, in a week. That would encompass four of your days. 36-12, then the next day, maybe you had you know, a 19-hour fast and a five-hour eating window, and then you did another 36-12 or something. I mean, it just, there's a lot of room for flexibility. But yes, Nancy, it is true that there's lots of research where people have followed like a 36-12 cycle. And if you have Fast Feast Repeat, read the alternate daily fasting chapter because I talk about that research. It's a well-researched approach, and it's great for certain things. Like if you are trying to heal insulin resistance, for example, 36-12 is a great way to do that. It really gets your insulin down because you're fasting for 36 hours. If you have a slowed metabolism from years of dieting, 36-12 would be great for that because 12 hours for your eating day, your up day, in the research that they they did on on that, the alternate daily fasting, they found that participants slightly overate on their up day. So in that 12-hour day, you would slightly overeat, but that boosts your metabolism. And so that's why it's so great if you feel like you have metabolic slowing. Yes. All right. We have one more question from Stephen, and the subject is medications. And Stephen says, do any pre-workouts or supplements or antipsychotics or SSRIs or medication in general break or stop autophagy from taking place if taking during your fasting window? All righty. So thank you, Stephen, for your question. So out of these categories, things like medications, SSRIs, I don't really think that that's something that we should be worried about for autophagy. So autophagy in general, which is when the body breaks down old proteins, dysfunctional proteins, and you know gets rid of them, it kind of cleans up shop or repurposes them in the body. It's a good cellular cleansing renewal process in the body. It's actually happening 24-7. It's always happening. It's just it gets ramped up in certain situations. So exercise can ramp it up. Fasting really ramps it up. Even coffee has been shown to ramp it up. So it's not something that I would even think about as a factor in taking your medication. Things like supplements. So, you know, straight up vitamins. I mean, you should really look at the fillers and things that are in them. A lot of fillers are actually made with amino acids as the filler. And amino acids are things that would discourage autophagy. So vitamins and stuff shouldn't really affect autophagy. But depending on the ingredients, 
in the supplements, it might be a problem. Pre-workouts. So if your pre-workout is coffee, that's probably going to encourage autophagy. But if your pre-workout has sweeteners or often they have amino acids, things like that, that could hinder autophagy. So yes. Thoughts? Yeah. We don't recommend those pre-workouts out there that they're selling to you because most of them do have fast breakers in them. You don't need them. They just want to sell you something. Just have black coffee is a pre-workout that does not break the fast. So you can just have your black coffee and that would be great. Medications, never change up your medications without talking to your doctor or pharmacist. So that's important. Yes. I feel like the autophagy thing, people, not that they're taking it too far, but they're getting really obsessed with it. And we don't have like charts of like this stops autophagy or this, you know, we know that certain compounds increase it in general lifestyle things. Like I said, like exercise and fasting increase it, but it's hard to say that this will have this X effect on autophagy. I mean, I just don't think we have that research. So, yep, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you would like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. These show notes will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 255. Those show notes will have a full transcript as well as links to everything that we talked about. And then you can follow us on Instagram. I am Melanie Avalon, Jen is Jen Stevens. And I think that is all the things. So anything from you, Jen, before we go? No, I think that was it. And again, thank you for sharing your story. I know it was hard to to experience it and to go through it, but sharing your story is going to help someone else be brave to share their story. Well, thank you. And thank you for being so receptive and for the dialogue that was really wonderful. So yes, well, this has been absolutely wonderful and I will talk to you next week. Awesome. Talk to you then. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. Transcripts by Speech Docs. Theme music by Leland Cox. See you next week.